The Boarding Pass is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Winnipeg Jets ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks those prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have already downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Checkout's easy, simple, two taps and you're done. Tickets are yours and you're on your way. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello and welcome to The Boarding Pass, a special monstrous Halloween edition. Uh, Ken coming from California, Marats in Winnipeg. We've got huge news with some Bufflin updates. We've got a huge guest with Temu Solani on the subscriber-only featured portion of the podcast after the show. Um, Ken, let's go right to it. We've got some huge news and we've got some updates with Dustin Bufflin. You were on site when Kevin Dayoff was addressing media. What's the latest? What's going on down there? Sure. Uh, newsy practice. Uh, injuries and updates and all kinds of uh, uncertainty. And I would say that uncertainty still remains the biggest word when it comes to the Dustin Bufflin situation, bordering on saga. Uh, <laughs> Good word. Obviously, what we what we know is that he's had ankle surgery uh, last week to uh, to repair uh, some kind of an injury. Um <laughs> There, from there, it's tough. It's a tough situation for all parties, especially when they're not commenting much on the record. I mean, Dustin Bufflin would have been, uh, I mean, getting regular checkups uh, during the course of the summer. So uh, there seems to be uncer- some uncertainty as to whether there's a difference of, of opinion uh, between potentially Bufflin's medical, you know, maybe a second opinion versus the Jets. But uh, what we know right now is that Dustin Bufflin is taking care of an ankle issue that will either help his quality of life or help expedite a potential return to the National Hockey League, uh, neither of which is clear at this time. So uh, the update is that there's not much of an update, at least not on the Jets' <laughs> front. Uh, obviously, there were questions regarding, I mean, if, if Dustin Bufflin's had surgery, could he be moved to IR rather than being suspended? Well, uh, Kevin Cheveldoff said there's been no change in his status, so he's not moving to IR right now, and I don't know that he would be anytime soon. So, um, basically, when I will sit down at the computer, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little teaser for what my lead will be, and my lead for my Bufflin story will be currently there are still more questions than there are answers. So, yeah. Uh, well, so what yeah, do we know? We know that there were two ankle injuries last season. Uh, we know that there that he wasn't playing over the course of the summer. He didn't participate in the beauty league or however you pronounce the DA. Right. Um, and then, you know, there's some questions, I guess, a little bit about the timing, uh, you know, uh, it, depending on how his ankle was doing over the course of the summer. I mean, it's different to get your surgery in October versus June, July or August. Um, all of those sorts of things. There's cap. <laughs> or, May. <laughs> or May, yeah, absolutely. The um, the day after playoffs ended, perhaps. But uh, I, I'm no ankle surgery expert myself. It's just one of those situations that seems to uh, to beg more and more questions than it offers answers. And I guess that that's what you're going to be diving into. 
there's one kind of question that's on my mind and and so i've been on the athletic winnipeg beat for uh two full seasons and freelancing before that and when there is big news released and you know whether it was a couple weeks ago i believe it was darren Drager reporting a, a, a move towards optimism from bufflin or uh bob mckenzie just the other night talking about um the the surgery and he, he's the one who broke that can You've been in this business a long time. How does this happen? How do these guys get that information? And I, Murata Tesh, uh, don't. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's one of the great challenges for any reporter uh, in the hockey world. Or in, to be honest, it's in every world. I mean, uh, there is a reason why the insiders get information. Uh, there's a reason why Adam Schefter and his colleagues are breaking a lot of news in the NFL and how Woj and company do it in the NBA. I mean... Uh, these guys are very dialed in. I mean, there's a story on The Athletic from Sean Fitzgerald today about Bob McKenzie being in our business for four decades. I mean, 40 years in the business, uh, you have a lot of sources. So uh, the challenge for the everyday beat writer is that even though you can cultivate a lot of sources, uh, in a situation like this with Dustin Bufflin where uh, neither the Bufflin camp or Bufflin specifically or the Jets are providing a lot of information, uh, you have to find a way to to piece the story together, and and that's what that what has brought those guys to the top of their business. Uh, I know they're. Uh, I mean, you've seen the theory uh, quite regularly on Twitter about uh, how people believe that people on the Winnipeg beat are somehow protecting True North uh, Sports and Entertainment. I mean, it's not like that at all. I mean. People send me DMs, uh, do you have any inside information on this? And my answer is always the same. If I had inside information, I would be reporting it. That is my job as a reporter. Uh, I answer to The Athletic. I don't answer to True North. Uh, <laughs> the, other, uh, the other great one is uh, is, is that uh, Winnipeg Media are scared that uh, their press pass will be revoked if they write something negative or whatever. I mean, that, that that's just not the way it works. I mean, the Professional Hockey Writers Association would go to bat for anyone in our chapter if a scenario like that were to happen. So uh, that's purely false. And uh, I mean, it just Bob's been doing a better job and the, of connecting the dots than the rest of us. That's not to say that we're not trying to connect the dots because we are. But uh, these situations are complicated. And I would say the other part of the insider, uh, you know, the rise to being an insider for people is that there is a, a bit of horse trading when it comes to information because those guys are talking to a lot of people around the league. There, It's viewed as a horse trading, you know, it's a back-scratching situation where uh, a source can provide the insider with some information, the, the insider provides the team with some information, and that's how deals get brokered in terms of uh, some kind of time when news gets broken. I mean, that, that it's not always that simple, but I mean, there's a big part of it. But the reason why Bob and those guys become so successful is, I mean, they're dogged reporters. They do their due diligence. And I mean, my classic story is, uh, I mean, Daniel Briere waited to announce his retirement until our colleague Pierre Lebrun was back from his August vacation. I mean, uh, that's how well respected wow. he was in that circle. And uh, I mean, these things happen, uh, I would say. Uh, it takes time, but uh, sometimes time isn't all that it takes. Uh, that, that'll be my uh, parable for today, if you will. Yeah, I, I love hearing that sort of perspective, and, and I can certainly vouch. Uh, you know, um, early on, especially at The Athletic, when I 
was railing against certain decisions by by the coaching staff and the top six, bottom six philosophy and how it was sinking the team and all those sorts of things. I, I didn't hear a peep from um, from the access folks or anything like that. The, so that's one of the, exactly. the it's, more inaccurate it's things. It's a poor theory. Hear. Well, there's several, but that is certainly one of them. One of the other things I would say too, I mean, it's like, it's not like we're not trying to break news and, and sometimes you break news from outside the organization. I mean, especially in an organization like the Jets that is very guarded when it comes to re- revealing information. I mean, I mean, this is, an, this is a scenario that has been challenging for the Jets for sure. So, I mean, I don't think the information came from them, and I mean, that's not to say that it came from Bufflin's camp either. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of plugged in people in the National Hockey League, and it's the job of all reporters, uh, including Bob, to to find the answers. And and kudos to him for for getting that recent bit of information for sure. I love that tidbit you shared about Pierre LeBron as well, coming off a of vacation and and having a having a retirement announcement by Daniel Briere, who. Uh, you know, I was with you in Arizona last year when he was speaking um, at Shane Doan's retirement ceremony, and geez, what a what an articulate person! Um, uh, similarly, like the the amount of respect that Pierre gets, and let's take a moment to to sort of plug Pierre LeBrun and Scott Burnside at the Two Man Advantage podcast as well. If you're into the Athletics podcast, Two Man Advantage has two of the insiders who do this stuff. And this particular week, uh, you can find that they've spoken to the Ducks head coach and former Winnipeg Jet. The man who caught the glove of Tamu Solani, Dallas Eakins. And, and so that's going to be a, a fun one to check out as well. Um, Ken, there's lots of other news coming out of this morning. We've got Ville Hanala being sent down and a couple of other injury updates and things like that. But let's start with Hanala. What's, uh, what's your take on this situation? What does he deserve? What is the, the outcome that uh, that's best for all parties here? Yeah, I mean, for right now, I think it's a smart move in the short term for sure because Hanala needs to be playing... 20 plus minutes a game and yes there have been nights where that has happened at the NHL level where we've mentioned the on the job training aspect has been in full force I mean some nights uh, well ahead of the curve and on other nights there are natural challenges uh, that are not necessarily specific to an 18 year old slightly built defenseman so I mean can I appreciate and get on board with the thought that Vili Hainala is going to be running the first power play with a Manitoba Moose maybe playing some penalty kill and taking a regular shift rather than being in and out of the lineup? Of course. I mean, as someone who covered the American League uh, for close to a decade, I have no problem with the Jets having him there, at least for the time being. Uh, we know that there still could be an opportunity that Hanela decides to go back to Finland, uh, just like Christian Veselina did last year. But I think for Hanela, I think the best place for him right now in terms of getting a greater amount of ice time would be with the Moose. I mean, I see a lot of value there. I mean, I can still make the argument that he deserves to be in the lineup at the NHL level right now, but I can understand why. I mean, there's an element of this that is protecting the player, and there's an element to it that protects the Jets. I mean, I asked Kevin Sheveldale specifically if it how big a decision was the entry-level contract when it comes to this, and I mean, he kind of danced around it, but I mean, at the end of the day, he said... It's important for him to be playing, and that is the most important thing for his development is to be playing. I mean, nobody has a... There's no manual for this, and every player is different. But for me, I, I can see a lot of benefit for him being with the Moose, Moose right now, going to the World Junior, and then going back to the Moose, probably, but and then see what happens from there. I mean, this is a very talented player. He's shown... Uh, he's given us a glimpse of his amazing ability, but... I mean, the best for Vili Hainala is yet to come. I mean, is he single-handedly going to keep the Jets in the playoff push right now as an 18-year-old? No, 
I mean, he could help them, but he's not being asked to, to be the savior here. And, I mean, at the end of the day, teams that are successful, they often have their best prospects marinating at the American League for a long time. I mean, you think about Detroit during their massive run. They had players in Grand Rapids that, at the time, they felt they were ready for the NHL, but they spent more time there and then became regular players. I mean, that that's, to me, I think what is going to happen. I mean... I think it's smart for Hanalet to stick around because things can change. I mean, look at how things have changed in the last two weeks regarding the Jets' defense core. Uh, two weeks from now, the Jets may be in that situation where they're calling up Hanalet again. I mean, we don't know that. But for right now, uh, it makes a lot of sense for him to be in the American League. So I know we've gone back and forth on this quite a bit, uh, even just on the podcast. But, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that subject? Well, you know, one of the the first things that I think, um, especially because that Detroit model, it was such a classic thing. And I think it changed a lot of paradigms in terms of how we view prospect development and player development. And I still believe that it's a case by case thing, what's best for an individual person. But the idea that they would bubble under and just excel at the level um, at the minor league level before their next promotion and their next promotion, even once they, they hit the NHL, that sounds so ideal. And I completely endorse it. However, the Detroit model was also predicated on a uh, top-to-bottom roster full of NHL All-Stars. And when I look at the... I mean, you were at practice today. You tweeted the, the Jets' defensive pairings, and you've got Josh Morrissey. Okay, t- last year he was in the on the top pair in Winnipeg. Tucker Pullman, last year he had some injury trouble, um, but he was mostly in the AHL. Dmitry Kulikov, last year he was on the bottom pair in the NHL. Now he's in the top four. Neil Pionk, top four. Okay, back-to-back seasons. Um, Dahlstrom, last year it was an NHL-AHL split. Spiza, last year he played nine games in the NHL, otherwise the press box. Bolu, bottom pair in the NHL all the way through. Anthony Boteto, uh, bottom pair, but also a lot of press box duty in the NHL. And um, when you look at that top to bottom, basically everybody but Morrissey and Pionk is multiple levels above where they were a year ago. This isn't a comment on what they deserve. I mean, I think Tucker Pullman with a full healthy season last year would have been in the NHL. But it it's not a case of a murderer's row of all-stars all the way through. And that might sound like I'm arguing that, okay, Vila Hainala should be part of that group. The The opposite is actually true. I've sort of settled into my mind. And I don't know if this, is, <laughs> if this is an odd thing to say, but I think it's so chaotic, I almost want the prize prospect to be kept away from it all. And um, that, would, in, that would be my best guess at his ideal development path is keep him right now at a level where he's going to excel and have an opportunity to make a consistent major impact, even if we're already looking at a guy who has an impact at the top four or five level of this group. Uh, I think there's going to be growing pains at any level, and the idea that those growing pains would be minimized and his opportunity to excel for the majority of his minutes would be maximized I'm no player development expert, but this is my perspective on this guy right now. So um, I'm excited about him, but I also think that uh, it strikes me as a, as a good long-term move for the guy. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Mark Scheifele is the guy we always talk about. I mean, Mark would be the first to tell you that he probably thought he was ready for the NHL at 18 years old, but he had a lot of growing and maturing to do in terms of A, his game, and B, his body. I mean, it's a physical toll. I mean... Philly Hainala is not a heavy, strong individual, and he, you know, he's probably never going to be a 200-pounder, but he needs to get physically stronger to deal with some of the defensive aspects of the game, and that's going to be natural. His skating is going to become more powerful over the years. I mean, the best way for him to do that is by playing a lot and playing at a level where he is playing in one of the best leagues in the world still. I mean, we talked about this last week. I mean, 
I can sit here and make the case that, yes, if he has some on-the-job training and growing pains at the NHL level this year, how much better does it make him two years from now? But the AHL is a darn good league. I covered it for a long time, and a lot of the best prospects have to play, spend some time there. I mean, that's it's not punishment for Vili Hainala to go to the American League. It's meant for his benefit, and I think that's the biggest thing that kind of gets overlooked. Uh, I mean, despite what you say, I mean, sure. I mean, it, it's not a situation where, I mean, he's being held back by four all-stars or he's not trying to crack the, you know, two years ago Predators uh, defense core that had Subban, Ellis, Ekholm, Yossi, and, and that crew. I mean, I get it, but... Or even last year's I mean, Winnipeg Jets. Sure, exactly. I mean, imagine if he was a right if he was auditioning for the right side with the Jets, right? I mean, sure. I mean, same as Pullman. I mean, Pullman wasn't wasn't held. I mean, he wasn't sent to the Moose because he couldn't be an NHLer on on some team, but he wasn't one of the best three right shot defensemen, and he was hurt. So when there were opportunities, it didn't work out for him. So, I mean, I think big picture that that's totally fine uh, fine move, but. I mean, sticking with the Finns, I mean, Patrick Laine won't play Friday. Uh, you know, still kind of up in the air for Saturday. We, we watched him. He was on the ice today, uh, moving around pretty well. But, uh, I mean, the other indicator was that Nikolai Ehlers was on the top power play unit. And, I mean, let's start there. You and I have both kind of advocated for this. And I had it in my three, uh, three suggestions piece uh, on The Athletic. And, what is that? What what's the most important of the dynamics that Ehlers will bring? We know he's tied for the scoring lead, and we know he's playing some of the best hockey since he's come to the NHL. But what do you see the biggest? Where where do you see the biggest impact he could make in terms of power play one? Uh, first and foremost, getting that puck into the offensive zone and getting it there such that Winnipeg can actually set up. And for me, that's been one of the issues. Even when, you know, Dustin Bufflin was there, if you saw the Jets go off for a couple of days and it didn't really work for them for a couple of games in a row, one of the things that they would struggle with would be zone entries. And there were a couple of modifications. Like you'll notice, especially if you're in the arena for games, uh, you'll you'll have Patrick Laine um, almost in the offensive zone as Winnipeg breaks the puck up the ice. And, and I guess the idea is there is to keep defenders honest at their blue line and open up a little bit more space in the middle, keep them turning their head and respecting that option. Well, he's not going to be there. So perhaps that's going to be Nick Ehlers' job. I think the most ideal job is for him to be the man pu- carrying the puck up the ice. And there's been a couple of different... I mean, we all know the the, the power play uh, zone entry with the drop pass to a, to a skater with speed. That skater hasn't had a ton of speed for the Winnipeg Jets so far this year, and I don't know if that's a timing issue or, or what. Uh, you, you see other teams occasionally drop pass where there's two skaters uh, approaching the blue line kind of you know side by side almost, and they can pass it and switch it depending on where there's more room on the blue line. That could be something to look forward to in the future. For now, Nick Ehlers flying into the zone, I think, is going to get that job done, and he's brilliant in time and space. And one of the things that you pointed out, too, is the guy can shoot. Um, he, he's leading the Jets in terms of what percentage of the team's offense he's contributing to right now. He's been one of the most, the most significant offensive contributor. I saw a tweet from Dmitry Filipovich of Sportsnet today saying that uh, based on Ehlers' primary points, uh, 11, he's actually been in on 32% of of Winnipeg's offense, which is among the league leaders and certainly Winnipeg's leader in that regard. So he is quietly, perhaps, because there are so many other famous people on this team, uh, become a cog or one of the most important offensive players of this team. And I think that the more minutes and more roles uh, for Nikolai Ehlers can only be a good thing for this offense. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the other the other big news coming out of the uh, power play personnel deployment is the switch and having Ehlers actually operate on the half wall on his right wing and Blake Wheeler moving A down low for the support, but also B for him to be the net front presence. I think that is the one area or one of the several areas that the Jets power play has struggled, struggled with so far. Uh, it's not a knock on Kyle Connor, but uh, I think that Wheeler, you know, having that six foot five frame, I think that that can create a little bit more for the Jets in terms of a the one timer options or b just having that a little bit more of a net front presence and maybe that ability to clean up a little bit of the garbage around the net uh, if the screen is successful and the goalie has trouble handling the rebound. So Connor moves back into the slot slot spot where Jack Rozovic was in the last game. So again, that's a little bit of a different dynamic, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. And, and again, let's see if they run it in the game, but it looked to be the case. So, I mean, it's another example of trying to get, I mean, Blake Wheeler has been one of the most productive power play players uh, in the National Hockey League. The, the fact that he's gone 13 games without getting a point on the power play is is a little bit baffling, but uh, not from lack of effort. And they're trying to put him in different positions to give the opponent a different look to, to try to create more access and availability in terms of being that distributor of the puck that he has been for for quite some time it's interesting it might even be slightly less terrifying to stand in front of the net these days without Dustin Bufflin at the point and if Patrick Laine is missing uh, on Friday night as well uh, uh, I mean not that the other guys can't shoot but it's probably slightly less terrifying to be in that lane <laughs> um, uh, coming up one thing I want to, to re-emphasize just because of how excited I am, uh, in the second half of this podcast for the subscribers only, we have Tama Solani on the pod. And we, uh, you know, I was able to read 90% of the book before we spoke. So there, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stories from Winnipeg Jets era Tamu Solani, uh, the, the worst curse word he ever taught Ty Domi, and some funny stories in and around that, some stories growing up, his first date with the woman who became his wife, and, uh, you know, uh, some misadventures uh, as a youth, all of these sorts of things. But he was gracious and kind and patient as always. Uh, and, and I just can't wait for listeners to hear that section of this as well. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about as uh, as you're going through the the power play is that you you, you kind of hit the last time that we were talking about this it was almost the very next game uh, when there when Wheeler had set up on the left wing wall that the, the Jets actually were able to generate a lot of chances and some offense off of that as well. So uh, I'm glad to get that sort of inside scoop from you. Has the PK, um, have you seen any, uh, perhaps at today's practice or otherwise? Because that's still something, you know, uh, Hellebuck's excellence or, or no, largely, uh, uh, is still a definite source of struggle for these guys. Yeah, I mean, work in progress for sure. And I mean, not having Adam Lowry for the two games of his suspension, I think, obviously impacts that as one of the better penalty killers. Uh, I mean, my other one of my suggestions for changes for Paul Maurice would be to get David Gustin a little bit more involved in that front. I don't see it's not happening, at least not right now, but I think that will be a move that he'll consider uh, down the road as well. I don't know how soon it'll happen, but that would be one of the next players that I would think gets plugged into that spot, especially with today's other news that Mark Letestu has now been shut down for a six-month period uh, with that heart issue uh, that he's has, has finally, now we know what the tests were for. I mean, uh, tough news for Letestu after battling his way back into the NHL, but uh, obviously folks have to wish him nothing but the best. There was a huge outpouring on Twitter after the tweet went out that, uh, I mean, 
Mark is known as one of the better guys in hockey, super bright mind, uh, positive demeanor, and obviously uh, everyone wishes him a speedy recovery and uh, and everything like that. But, I mean, Paul Maurice did re- reinforce that his long-term health is not in question, but it's going to take some time before uh, he gets back to those heavier-duty activities. Well, it's good to know that his, yeah, his long-term prognosis is, is good. Uh, six months is a long time to miss hockey, which I'm sure will uh, will hurt on the emotional side. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, that he's going to be okay in the long run. Myocarditis is not something I know anything about, but I've just been pouring through the tweets. No. Um, and I guess I guess that's David Gustafson's job, or what else could the Winnipeg Jets reasonably do to to, to make to, to patch over during Latestu's absence? Sure, I mean I guess there's always a trade or waiver claim possibility, and we know that Pascal Vincent has been raving about CJ Cease's play, but and sure Logan Shaw's played some center before, but I mean still it's there on a platter for him. But I mean again, that, it's not to say that he's there for the year or, uh, by any stretch, but I, I would see there being possibilities for him to extend his stay uh, longer just because of the the center depth in the organization. Uh, I wouldn't call it uh, you know they do have guys who've played center, but uh, as it is currently constituted, he definitely has a chance to stick around beyond uh, the 10-game the portion. Uh, I mean, the other part that I would say the biggest difference between Gustafson and Hainala when it comes to that first year of the entry-level deal, I would say because Gustafson is not a high-octane offensive player, I don't think that the concern going into the second contract would be as great because Gustafson is probably looking at a you know, a Joel Armia or an Adam Lowry or an Andrew Kopp second contract where it's, you know, two years at two mil or whatever the number is. But he's he's looking at a modest raise, whereas a guy like Hanela, who will eventually be an offensive defenseman, could be looking at a, a you know, a bridge deal. We've seen Truba, Morrissey, and even Pionk to a degree moving into that two-year, $6 million range. So, I mean, it's I don't see that as as big a concern for the Jets uh, in terms of future budgeting. But, I mean, the opportunity is definitely there. But, but as we've been arguing, uh, not arguing you and I, but just with the premise of, I mean, how valuable is it for David Gustin to be playing six minutes and change or fewer than six minutes on a nightly basis as a 19-year-old? That, that will be the bigger question. And even if Gustafson does stick around beyond the 10 games, I would still see a lot of value in allowing him to join Sweden at the World Junior. I mean, depending on how things are going for the Jets at the time, but in terms of long-range development, I think that even if he sticks for the year, I, I could definitely make an argument that it makes sense for him to be you know, sent or allowed to go to the World Junior where he would have a massive role with Team Sweden and, and might even be their captain. Yeah, and one of the things that we've highlighted, you and I, and in your feature on him, and and otherwise, and just watching him as well, he's such a an intelligent player, a good two way player, and that's really what the the long term projection is for the guy. I'm 100 percent behind the Sweden uh, World Juniors idea as well. I'm just looking at his five on five numbers right now. He's played 33 and a half minutes in six games, so less than six minutes at five on five uh, per game so far. His most common line mate has been Gabriel Bork, who's certainly had a, a tough time from the possession metrics side of things. But in this tiny, don't read much into it sample size, Gustafson's lines have been outshot 20 to 6 at 5 on 5. So 
one of the things that I was hoping for when when pulling this up, just because I, I rate him as such an intelligent two way player, is something closer to the fifty percent sort of thing. And in fact, that twenty three percent shots four percentage while he's on the ice is that is the worst on the team so far. He's also playing out of one of the most difficult uh, roles in that. Um, his his line mates, uh, other than Matthew Perot, haven't really been great in terms of possession on their own without him, playing kind of off rhythm, playing less than six minutes at, at per night, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Still, um, I, I think that if we do see him for 40 games or whatever it's going to be, uh, you'd look for those to to move forward or, or move upwards, pardon me, especially as he hits towards that 200-minute mark. Um, we're sort of coming up to the end of the the first half here and i and i want to i really want to get an overall sense of of what you think this team is identity wise because you've discussed it in your pieces so far um it sort of seems to be you know win a win a brilliant heritage classic comeback where the the first half of the game wasn't so hot but the the they poured it on and, and josh morrissey had a, a picturesque top corner uh, goal uh, the brian little overtime goal as well and brian little's on a little bit of a mini heater right now too which is uh which was a good sign for him um but then they followed it up with in my opinion one of their worst neutral zone defensive performances of the season uh, is that normal uh, is that the new reality for these guys and you know if that is the case is, is this going to be an, an entire rebuild instead of a retool type season yeah i mean jekyll and hyde have certainly both uh reared their heads in the first 13 games and I would say that it's not uncommon for a lot of teams and some teams that were projected to be contenders are going through that look no further than the San Jose Sharks who the Jets play on Friday night I mean expected to be a powerhouse club and they're below 500 as well and kind of searching for their identity I mean it's been interesting to watch. I mean, I don't have a very good answer for you, Marat, to be honest. And I don't think the Jets have an answer. I mean, this is very similar to what we've been talking about before. I mean, there's been some frustration on some nights uh, regarding how they've played, but there have been others where there are signs of life. So it's it's interesting to to go through. And I, and I think that's one thing we're going to find out here in the next little stretch of games uh, but we don't know what the identity is yet. We know what we think they can be good at, and we think we know what they should be good at, but those things haven't necessarily been lining up on a consistent basis to this point. So uh, for me, that that remains the biggest part of the mystery. I mean, they haven't had their full group together uh, at all yet, and, uh, I mean, there have been some nights where they've looked like world beaters, and there have been other nights where some people wonder if they're going to be a team that's high up in the lottery. So, I mean, we don't have that answer yet, and I, I don't think the Jets are anywhere close to waving the white flag, and nor should they be. Uh, as long as they're getting above average to elite-level goaltending, I expect them to be in the race and the battle. But, I mean, the other night was another example. I mean, there were some bad bounces, yes, and Connor Hellbuck has carried the Jets uh, on a lot of nights, but the other night he wasn't sharp. They, that, that is... A clear fact and on a night where the Jets needed goaltending to be sharp uh, when they were facing a Ducks team that had a bit of a disheveled blue line and were playing a little bit ragged uh, they needed better goaltending and they didn't get it I mean the offshoot being that Lauren Bressois who's going to start against Vegas on Saturday uh, was able to get some work but I mean 
you can't expect to have 933 save percentage goaltending every night. Uh, it's just too hard on the goaltenders. So that makes all those other areas uh, so much more important for the Jets to clean up, whether it's the, the defensive zone s- stuff that we've talked about or uh, the special teams woes that have certainly contributed to a sub-500 sub start. Well, players are certainly going to get the opportunity to show themselves. The Ehlers being promoted to the top power play unit. Uh, Jack Roslevic playing higher up in the lineup, looking pretty good there. Tucker Pullman back to that first pairing like you reported earlier today. There are a lot of players who will have their chance to sort of show Winnipeg what they are or what they could be moving forward. Um, and that's this week in the, in the boarding pass on, on October 31st. I, I really hope that you guys stick around and all the subscribers enjoy what was a truly uh, you know, heartwarming and positive conversation with Tammy Solani coming up on the second half of the pod. Uh, for Ken Weeb, my name is Murata Tesh. This is the Athletic Winnipeg podcast of the Boarding Pass. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, Jets are in San Jose on Friday night, Vegas on Saturday, and we're going to be here next week with a new podcast on theathletic.com. Mm-hmm.